now tuned in to the Meesey Muse Unplugged, a pop-up podcast variety show helping consultants along their journey to greatness with your host, management consultant, author, and blogger, Christy Lindor. Welcome to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast show. For today's episode, we will be doing a segment that I call Quick Wins. And if this is your first time tuning in, Quick Wins is when I have the opportunity to connect with individuals discussing products, services, or ideas to help round out your consulting toolkit. In today's episode, we're actually going to cover, I'm going to call it a roundtable. We're going to do a roundtable on project management. And if you're new to consulting, what you'll soon discover is that regardless of the type of consulting projects you do, whether you work on six-week kind of strategy cases or you end up on, you know, large multi-year implementation types of engagement work, you're going to need to understand how to optimize the operations of that project, which is what project management is all about. And why is that important? You know, it's important because if we think about the crux of many projects that fail, or if you may be, you know, a consultant right now, some of the, the, con- the concerns or challenges you may be having on your projects, chances are the root causes of, of problems may go back to the project management of, of that specific engagement. So consider these statistics. It's, it's actually pretty staggering. We're in 2017, given this day and age, but For every billion dollars invested in projects in the U.S. alone, 122 million of that is wasted due to subpar project performance. So that's according to PMI. They also share that 75% of both business and IT executives anticipate their projects will fail. 75%. That's really crazy. And then Standish Group, you know, states that only a third of all projects we're successfully completed on time and on budget um, this past year in 2016. So these numbers are, you know, they go on and on and on on the stats of projects and why projects fail. So, you know, you know, when we go back to kind of being a great consultant and the journey to greatness, I, you know, that also includes becoming a great project manager. And so I wanted to dedicate a episode just talking about that. So this is going to be uh, episode 20 Super excited. We're in our 20th episode. So what we'll do today, um, what's on the agenda, we actually have a couple of seasoned project management experts joining us um, from the International Institute of Learning, IIL. So we have Ed Lively and Stephanie Cole, and we're going to have a kind of a conversation about project management. So the way we're going to do this is actually a little different from some of the other episodes we've done before. We're going to have almost like a, like a, a, a discussion and a, and, a, and a kind of roundtable discussion around, you know, what are some tactics and techniques and best practices that you can use and bring to your projects? And we're going to do that across what's what I call the typical project management life cycle. And, you know, the language changes depending on your projects, depending on your firm or, or your clients. But. Initially, you know, kind of the, the beginning and t- the end of a project is, is pretty much the same. So, um, you know, there's, there's typically an initiate phase. There's typically a plan phase. There is a execute, monitor, and control, and then a close phase. And, and that's really the rhythm of most projects out there. And so we're going to talk about each of these phases, give you a couple of tactics and techniques, Ed, Stephanie, and myself. We share, we collectively, I think actually I, I rounded it out. I think we have over 60 plus years of experience collectively of project management. So we're going to bring that to you in about an hour. So you're going to be able to compress, you know, decades into, into minutes, which is great. What we'll do also on today's episode, we'll give kind of like an impromptu case study to really kind of help bring the idea of project management to life, just to, to make it real for you. We'll then pivot. We're going to talk about International Project Management Day, which is coming up in November. Um, Ed and Stephanie are part of IIL, and they have a really cool virtual conference that you should check out if you want to learn how to upskill and 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 you know enhance your project management skills. 
And lastly, in today's episode, we'll also touch on really kind of the state of project management and what are some things and skills and, and things you should consider as you are rounding out your consulting kind of, you know, skill set for the future. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Super, super cool conversation, very informative. So I hope you will enjoy it. Stay tuned next week for episode 21. We have our second Where Are They Now interview with Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan is actually a former colleague of mine. He's a former rock star consultant as well. I know we had a first Where Are They Now episode a couple, you know, a couple of weeks ago that we got a lot of, it was a lot of fanfare. So people really liked the Where Are They Now episodes. I think you will enjoy my conversation with Jonathan next week. So stay tuned for that. So, so thanks and uh, let's get started. So Ed and Stephanie, how are you both doing today? Doing well. Doing exceptionally well. Thank you very much, Christy. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so super excited to, to speak with you both. But before we get started on in today's interview, I wanted to get a chance to have, you know, have you introduce yourself to the go-getters of the Missing News Unplugged. Very good. Well, this is Ed Lively, and I'm a senior consultant and instructor for the International Institute for Learning. And I began my career working for a venture capitalist and real estate developer and building office buildings and shopping centers. Since then, I've been involved with many different kinds of projects, working on enterprise-wide implementations and deployments of software to building database, to building windmill farms for public utilities. And currently, the most recent project I've worked on is a process improvement project and writing a book. So over to you, Stephanie. All right. First of all, I want to say uh, to Christy, thank you so much for the invitation to both Ed and myself. And also, because you know how I feel about you, Christy, congratulations (laughs) to you on this amazing podcast and for the many great things to come. All right. Now, my name is Stephanie. Our company is the International Institute for Learning, and we are an educational provider headquartered in New York City. We excel in coaching, training, and course development in all areas of business. And uh, my experience over the years include uh, learning and development implementation with uh, one of the big four firms, event management, and business development. At the helm at the uh, International Institute for Learning is our CEO, the Laverne Johnson, She is an innovative, powerful, and dynamic leader who started in the project management world over 25 years ago, and she has been making moves ever since. We also have 19 global affiliates, and we not not only offer training for certification prep for project management, but also training in other areas too, including business analysis, agile, and scrum as well as sustainability and leadership. And we are here today. Go, Ed. Well, thank you very much. Stephanie, (laughs) at this time, I mean, (laughs) I thought this was an interview. Well, I mean, you guys have like just, this was like, I didn't know this was like a, this was like a IIL takeover officially. I love it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. That is too funny. That is too funny. Okay. So you, so go getters. You already see what you're in for, for today's episode. I love it. Well, well maybe, so I know, you know, I I definitely want to talk about all of the fantastic work that you're doing at IIL and go getters. I'll make sure we'll include all the links and information. IIL actually has a a great, they have a great conference coming up, virtual uh, project management conference coming up, which you should check out. I'll put all the links in, in the, the, you know, our website for you, but I want to kind of, I want to kind of take us a step back. So I, I wanted to make sure Ed and Stephanie joined us today to talk about a really important topic yes. in the consulting community. And yes. that's around, you know, the, the discipline of project management. So, you know, interestingly enough, you know, I've been in consulting for like, you know, over 15 plus years. And as consultants, we work on projects. That's like what we do. And it never behooves me to see how, you know, pe- you know, sometimes I, I, I notice that certain individuals do not take 
that discipline as serious. And it's, it's, it's such a critical skill set that I I wanted to bring attention to it on the podcast show. And I asked Ed and Stephanie to really join me to really talk about, you know, what are some things that you can consider if you're trying to be a great consultant, you have to become a great project manager. That's, there's like no if, and, or buts about that. Very true. So, so, so maybe, you know, to tee up the first question back to you, Ed, and you, you know, Thank you for your introduction. You've got a historic background, a lot of cool stuff you're doing. Maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, how project management became a cornerstone of your of your career. Oh, goodness, Christy. This started back over 20 years ago. And as I said, I was working for a real estate developer and venture capitalist at the time. And I remember the first time I was asked to manage a project, it was after one of the shopping centers that we managed had burned to the ground. And Mm. unfortunately, I was handed this project. I had never managed a project before. And I remember thinking right off the bat, do I have the qualifications? Do I have the understanding of construction and architecture to be able to handle this project? And to be honest with you, I was scared to death that I was being handed so much responsibility up front. So that's how I took off and started doing projects. From there, I seemed to be handed other projects. I spent some time as the chief financial officer for the Mexican-American Unity Council in San Antonio, Texas. And during that, I noticed that uh, there were a lot of financial-type projects. Mm -hmm. So when you think of projects, a lot of times you may think of construction or you think of IT, but actually many of you do projects in your everyday life. Right. So. Right. Right. No, it, it, it's so true. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, being thrown into, <laughs> into something that can be a little daunting, I, I feel like that's kind of the life of a consultant all the time. You know, we're, exactly. we're constantly, you know, in, in stretched opportunities. And mm-hmm. so I think, mm-hmm. I think having a systematic approach of how you, no matter how, how, how much you scale a project or how complex it is, there's some basic fundamentals that if you do right day in, day out as habits, right. it will help. It'll really set you up for success. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think from the get-go, when you start initiating a project, one of the first things that's very important, and, and it's not realized by many people, most people focus on the technical skills in building a building or creating software or building something, and it really begins with relationship building skills. It begins with identifying those people that are going to be concerned with your project, interested, working on your project, the client, your team members, Mm -hmm. and developing a level of respect with them, developing Mm -hmm. some sort of rapport with them where you get to understand what you have in common and what interests you share. Mm-hmm. And then also building trust with them, uh, trust in the, your competency, the trust in your integrity, and your willingness to share information with them. And so true. so true. You know, and Stephanie can attest to this, that many times we just skip over that part and we go right to the building part of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Relationships are so key because a hard lesson uh, that I learned so many years ago is that it may not necessarily be uh, fair, but people do business with people that they like and people do business with people that they have relationships with. And a lot of times a relationship will get you into a space where just a pure, purely sole business approach may not. So relationships have often been the foundation uh, to build many great, great things. And it's not to be discounted. Because at the end of the day, we're all humans. And I, th- I think both of you would agree that relationship skills are the lubrication in business that makes everything else go easier. If we're talking about negotiation, conflict resolution, or any other one of the interpersonal skills, or even the technical skills, the ability to get along with people. Because after all, isn't that who helps us on projects? People. That is true. And you mentioned, you know, you talked a little bit about initiate and and I, I want to take a step back, especially for go-getters that may not be familiar with kind of the, the project management terminology. So so I think what would probably be helpful is is we probably go through I'm I'm going to call it the loose, you know, stages of a project. I'm going to I'm going to use that term loosely because depending on 
you know, the, the firm you work for, depending on the, the methodology or framework that's used, there's going to, the, the terms are interchangeable, but I think the process in terms of how do you go from the beginning to the end of a project is relatively the same. And so, you know, I'm going to, you know, let's start with, you know, with, with the five stages of a, of, of a typical project usually starts with initiate phase. And so I know you kind of, you were talking, Ed and Stephanie, about mm-hmm. the importance of stakeholders and yes. making sure that you kind of, you know, start to build those relationships and, and, and initiate. Any other kind of like, you know, if you were to think about just the initiate phase of a project, what are kind of some other, like, well, let's say, let's just, let's say one more, you know, one more technique or kind of best practice you would recommend to our listeners, you know, that, that would be starting a project and, and beginning with the initiate phase. Well, I think absolutely one of the things you have to do is get your arms around the project to identify what's included in the project and what's not included in the project. So here's a good place to talk about scope. Mm-hmm. Scope being the boundaries of what we do and what we don't do. And to understand scope fully, most people think that it all comes down to defining a scope statement when actually there are so many other things that go into it. The contract that you sign helps define what you're going to be doing. You might have a statement of work that defines the work in enough detail so that the performer knows they can do the work, and that defines part of it. Mm -hmm. It might be the charter that gives authorization to the project that defines part of it, and the requirements. So there's a lot of elements that go into scope, but if you don't identify your scope up front, and if you don't do a really good job of doing that, then you have problems throughout your project. It makes it difficult to estimate the effort that it's going to take to do the project. You have something that we like to call scope creep, where Mm -hmm. individuals start asking for additional work to be done that wasn't included in the original scope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't have a percentage, Ed and Stephanie, but I, and this is just from my own personal experience, you know, running projects. Yeah. I, f- I feel like, and, and correct me if you're, you may actually have the numbers, <laughs> Ed, you can be given your, you know, you've been teaching for quite some time now, but I would guesstimate to say at least 90% of any, you know, where projects fail or where there starts to be problems on projects is it has to do go back to the scope. Yep. It's 91 and a quarter, by the oh, way. Oh, thank <laughs> no, you. <laughs> Wait, no, Ed, that's no, right. No, no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but it's so true. And, and when I think of scope creep, I think of construction. I think of someone who wants to remodel a house or a room in their house. It can get pretty hairy pretty quickly mm. if it's not tracked. So, so go-getters, you know, just, just to round out the thoughts on, on the initiate phase, I would say, you know, like the one or two things in addition to what Ed and Stephanie have just shared that I do constantly and during the initiate phase of a project, number one, the minute I get, I roll onto a project, the first thing I'm asking for and looking at is either the SOW, the statement mm-hmm. of work, yeah. or a copy if there's a scope statement. Sometimes there is. Sometimes some projects, they may call them a charter. Whatever they, you, whatever your project or you know, contract, whatever they decide to call it, make sure the first thing you do is you, you look at that that, that, that document and you memorize it by heart. (laughs) I I literally, that is one of the first things I do is memorize the the statement of work Mm -hmm. to make sure I have a clear understanding of what the obligations of my team, of my firm, and you know, what are the the contractual requirements for the, the, the clients and to make sure they're aware of that too, because guess what? With projects, People, you know, roll off and on projects. There's a lot of transition. Oh, yeah. Sometimes clients, I've actually seen that, where clients may not actually really know what's in scope for a project. Yes. And, and, it, and, and that's me, you know, if you're on the outside looking in, that may sound weird, but I've seen it happen again. So mm-hmm. kind of back to the point about stakeholders, building relationships, mm-hmm. I would say take it a step further. Make sure everyone's on the same page on what, it, what you are contractually obligated to deliver. Yeah. Any any last thoughts on initiate at our seventy before we move on? No, Just, I, I think yeah. that you've nailed it pretty well. Pretty much, you got it. Okay, okay. And if and if you have things along the way, feel free to to chime in. But you know, if, so that was like that was like what number one was initiate. So number two, typically you go from initiation phase to what's called plan phase. So Ed, do you want to kick off thoughts on um, the plan phase? Sure. In the planning phase, a lot of times we solidify the mm-hmm. scope 
make sure that we finalized it. But we have to go further than that. We have to actually figure out how we're going to do the project, in what order we're going to do tasks, what tasks we need to do, who's going to do them, and how long it's going to take them, and how much it might cost them to do it. And so during this part of the project planning stage, we figure out our schedule a lot of times. We create a list of all the tasks. It's much like the list you might create. Many of you out there are already list makers. You put together lists anytime you're going to do something. And we do the same thing, mm-hmm. only we're a little bit more specific. We try to identify the flow or the methodology we're going to use in doing it. And this serves as the baseline for the way we're going to execute the project later on. We have to know what our baseline understanding is. And we go through several iterations of this, trying to figure it out. And finally, we turn it over to the client to approve it. We make sure that all of our involved parties approve the plan before we move forward on it. Now, there are many different kinds of plans that we have here. In addition to the schedule, we have a budget that becomes our baseline for our costs. We have quality management plans. We have stakeholder management plans. Just about every aspect of what we're going to do in the project, we have a separate plan for and putting it together. So the project manager that's working on even a simple project needs to be fairly organized. And I think the key word is adaptable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That, you can, you can oh, say boy. that again. You yeah. can say that again, Ed. <laughs> adaptable. We're adaptable. waving from the congregation. We're waving our fans to the front. Like, say it again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, things are going to change. We know that. Yeah. 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 Except, so, so actually, w- let me, let's pause right there. Let's mm-hmm. freeze right there. So, because what you just said is so spot on, Ed. Mm-hmm. Like, go-getters out there that go out and create, like, the perfect plan, guess what? Yes, it's going yes, to change. Yes. It is never going to stay static because as it humans, won't. we are not static people. So mm-hmm. I want I want to make sure people really accept that because I what I found, especially with newer consultants, yes. is that they, they seem to not want to accept that it's going to change. You know, they think it's yeah. going to, you know, as the plan is created, it's going to be executed that way. Yeah. And that is not the case at all. And so mm-hmm. I like what you used at around the word adaptable with the project plan. And what you said is perfectly right. You know, all the documentation that we create, all the plans that we put into place, it's dynamic. It's mm-hmm. in a constant state of changing and updating as we get requests to change the plan, as we start executing and things are going to change. We're going to have to constantly go back and review the way we put the plan together and replan to stay online with our baselines. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, and some of the ways go-getters that I know I do this with my projects, I'll give you a couple of my secrets. So so, so, so a couple things is one, I always try to include buffer in my projects plans. That's so good. And, That's and, so good. and when I yes. say buffer, so for mm-hmm. example, if we think it's going to take us, or let's just say contractually, we have to you know, we have to deliver a specific work product in 15 business days. And I'm just going to use it as a general example. If we have to do it in 15 business days, I actually try to, you know, I try to make sure that we buy ourselves a little bit more time. But I usually have two plans. So I have the plan that, you know, what the contract, what we have to deliver on, but then I have a second plan. And then my second plan is where I have like, you know, the, the nice, I call them the, 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 the dream dates, right? right but right. these are the dates that my, me and my team were really working towards. Mm-hmm. And it's typically more compressed than the actual dates because when it's compressed, that just, we know that, okay, if we know it, it's, you know, we have to have it done in, in 15 days, I'm going to say, let's, we're going to try to try to shoot to get it done in eight days because that gives us a little bit of time as well to make corrections, to get, you know, client sign off, to, you know, iterate if needed. Mm -hmm. So you just want to figure out like, what's the techniques that work for you? But for me, I find, you know, creating that buffer, sometimes even splitting a work product. So, so saying, okay, we can, we'll have the first version by that, that date, and then we'll have a second version. And usually clients are, you know, if they see progress, they, they, they appreciate it. They, they'll work with you at times, but I think you have to kind of figure out how to be creative, but at the same time, meeting your, you know, your contractual deadlines. I don't know, or Stephanie, any other thoughts to that? 
No, I, I, I definitely like that. No one likes to constantly be up against it all the time. So if something is due on the 15th, Christy, like you're saying, and you can get it done on the 8th or the 10th, then those those uh, remaining days that you have, you can just do a bit of cleanup and housekeeping as opposed to skidding in wheels burning at midnight on the 14th. You know, so I really like the idea of cutting it in half and you do have to double time it a bit, but you make out better on the back end because now you can look back and you can see what you've done. And with the time remaining, you can do a bit of housekeeping. It works. Today's episode is brought to you on behalf of the Misi Muse. 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules and habits of great consultants, a book by Christy Lindor. Written in the voice of a mentor, the Misi Muse provides insights on the unwritten rules of great consultants, a perfect read for new or aspiring consultants. Christy dives into her 15 plus years of consulting experience while sharing interviews and anecdotes from over 50 consulting partners and leaders that represents thought leadership from 80% of the top 10 consulting firms in the world. Pre-sale begins shortly. Sign up at www.macymuse.com. It kind of brings me to the, the second half of that as well is what I'm mentioning. This is actually what I, I would typically do up front. So before it's not like, okay, the project's going and then I'm figuring this out. No, it's mm -hmm. during the plan phase, I come up with various different scenarios and the way that I build in my buffer and my times for my projects, I typically do it by doing a risk assessment. And so I identify risk at the onset of a project, not at the, not like, not when the project's happening, you know, and, and risk is just a fancy term for what if these, you know, if it's what if these problems happen, like, what are we going to do? So I like to do that up front and build that into scenarios of various projects, timelines. So that I, it gives me a little bit more control over the timeline. It, mm -hmm. it, you know, I can forecast things up front. I can work with the client and set expectations early on. You know, it, there, there's just a lot of value that, that comes with kind of creating that rigor up front, as opposed to like, like you said, like letting kind of the the, the train start and then you start realizing you're out of gas and you know the conductor yeah. called out sick and you know all types of stuff ha starts happening you know i was going to say that when we were talking about initiating but you limited me to only one more key thing so <laughs> i wasn't sure whether i should talk about risk or whether i should talk about scope mm -hmm. but i actually when i'm reading the contract or the statement of work for the first time i'm doing it with a highlighter and trying to identify things that could be risks that, yeah that's a great idea and Definitely. I also look for opportunities. You know, as I'm identifying the threats, I look for the opportunities too in these documents. So my, my last thing on plan, and I don't know if you all have, have last things. My last thing is milestones. So mm -hmm. I like to create what I call back pocket milestones. And it goes back to cutting the time in half, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if we know that, you know, a, a milestone is due, you know, to the client, I'll make sure I will create new milestones in between the times just to make sure that we have markers on our team so that if we need to catch things early on, that we can do so in a way that's controlled. So that's like one kind of, kind of way that, again, it's part of kind of that planning and the timing. And I like what you said about identifying risk, you know, with the SOW review, any, any other kind of last thoughts on, on plan phase for you too? Actually, not different thoughts, but along those same lines, when you're talking about those intermediate points to make sure you're progressing, is putting together a plan with tasks that are close enough together to know that I'm making progress on my project. I don't want too much detail, but I need enough detail to know that uh, I'm moving towards the dates and I'm going to hit them. In, anything else? I don't know if you've got anything else on the plan before we, we move to uh, phase three, which is execute. Any, any other thoughts? You know, the only thing that I would say is that something that has appeared recently on the scene in project management is that most of us are now working on virtual teams. We're yes. dealing with teams that are in Singapore, mm -hmm. Nigeria, China, India, all over the world. And so today, having a good handle with collaborative tools like Centrasaba, Adobe Connects, we're using Zoom here or some other product 
those are important to learn how to use them extremely well because we can reach out and we can talk to clients. Now, the one thing it makes difficult is, remember, I talked about building respect, rapport, and trust. That becomes important also when we're dealing with virtual teams because mm -hmm. the same thing is important in every country in the world. It's just different how we go about each one of those things, building respect, rapport, and trust with them. And, you know, I'm so glad you teed up the, you know, the virtual teaming ad. I think for go-getters, I think I'm in the future, I will do a, a segment just on virtual teaming because it is, it is, you know, it's actually becoming more and more prevalent of the way we're doing business and consulting. Yes, absolutely. And it's going to be the wave of the future, to be honest. And so I feel like, thank you for teeing that up. I actually just jotted that down. I'm going to something. It's me something, Christy. <laughs> Well, I guess we can move on to execute. So, so any, any kind of starting thoughts on, on the execute phase? Well, during execution, what we're trying to do is execute on the plan we created. One of the major difficulties that companies have is that maybe collaboratively they build a great plan, mm -hmm. but when they leave the planning session, they go back to their cubicle they don't look back at that plan. They do it based on people calling them and saying, you know, I'm ready for you to do your piece. Or you know what? I feel like doing this rather than this today. Mm -hmm. And so they leave the plan. And that makes it very difficult for managers, executives to know where the resources are and whether they're over allocated or there's mm -hmm. some excess capacity there. Mm -hmm. So I think executing on the plan is one thing. During execution, one of the most important things is keeping those people who have an interest in the project, and I'm going to refer to them as stakeholders, those people need to have their expectations managed and they need to be communicated to on a regular basis. If you have a stakeholder that is asking you for information, that tells me that you're probably not communicating often enough or in a manner that they want to be communicated to. And uh, Stephanie, any, any other thoughts on execution? One of the things that sticks out to me is what happens when the plan that has been created is too far over in terms of its complexity? It's, it's so detailed that the team, it's not a good fit for how the team mentally moves, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. What happens when you have, a and it's determined that that is the document from which all knowledge shall flow. Like this is the document. Everybody, you go to this document to move forward. But what happens when that document is so detailed that team members really can't embrace it because it's a bit intimidating? So go ahead. I, I was going to say, if you, if you want to kick it off, go ahead, Ed, and then I'll, I'll, I'll chime in after you. Okay. I was going to say that that's one of the key things in the planning stages is to make sure that you don't have so much detail in there mm -hmm. that it's easy enough to come up with it in planning. But when you move to execution, mm -hmm. it's difficult to maintain it and to keep it updated with uh, current status. So in this, you have to make a reasonable amount of you have to put in a reasonable amount of data into your schedules and your budgets that can be followed. Now, when it doesn't happen, when people aren't following that plan and you start to get off the baseline, as we talked about, as you start mm -hmm. getting away from those dates that we said we were going to hit, mm -hmm. then we have to replan. We have to start optimizing our plan, figuring out how we're going to change the approach to get back on the baseline for this. In other words, are we going to start doing some tasks in parallel? Are we going to add more resources? Mm -hmm. And there's about 13 different things we can do to try and get that project back on track. Hmm. Yeah. Good, Christy. I definitely agree with, with all of those techniques. I know one thing I do, and, and this is, you know, I'm a, I'm a project manager, but I'm also a change manager by heart, right? So the things that I do when I notice that if, if my project plan is, is, is too detailed, which sometimes happens, you know, depending on how complex, particularly when you're dealing with IT solutions mm -hmm. or, you know, really complex requirements, you know, sometimes it does become extremely dense. I like to break it out. And I, you know, the way that I kind of do things is I lead first, I project manage second. And when I say that, meaning I may not go into a meeting with that large, dense project schedule. I may use that. That's what me and my team or, you know, I have one more, you know, one person on the team that's helping manage to make sure we're staying on track. 
but I may go into the meeting with a, with a PowerPoint, you know, and it's, you know, sharing the same information, but just visualizing it differently. So it can be consumed by the stakeholders in the room. Because what I find is that at least in my experience, sometimes when you put a project plan in front of people, it intimidates them. If it's a a Microsoft project, Mm -hmm. some people, they can't, they don't want to deal with all of that. And and for some people, you know, even an Excel document is too much. And so I think it goes back to reading your, knowing your stakeholders and understanding how is it that they like to be communicated and, and bringing them along the journey in a way that they can consume it. And then you do all the, you know, you do kind of the, the project planning and you do kind of, you use the tools to enable the project in the back end, but I call it sometimes they don't need to see the, I call it the sausage making process. Sometimes they they don't need to see that, but, but, but that's why I call it about, you know, being a leader first and then project managing second. No, and that, that's an excellent point that, you know, there are a lot of tools that we can use, and, and I'm a strong advocate of project managers becoming well-versed in the tools they use, whether it's Excel, Primavera, P6, or Microsoft Project or Project Server. They need to learn to use that tool extremely well, but when they're presenting to their teams, I think that they should learn to filter the information to present it. For instance, I, you know, if you're keeping your project schedule up to date, then there should be no incomplete work in the past. So everything should have been rescheduled to the future. So what I ask my team to do is look at a 60-day look-ahead window. Yeah. What are the tasks that are going to be done in the next 60 days? Your window might be 30 days, depending on the type of project it is. And then I say, I'm only talking to the engineering department today, or I'm only talking to the IT department today, so let me just show them that. And of those, between on-time and late tasks, Really, they just need to look at the off baseline or the late tasks. So I can go from, you know, a a thousand, two thousand tasks down to one or two that they really need to focus on. But I think that that's the job of a project manager when you talk about a leader is to help them focus on what's important for the project at any one time. One last thing on execute that I have um, that we haven't talked about that I, I, you know, I feel like is important is the kickoff. So you know, I think when people think about the, the different phases of a project, I, I like to I like to kind of tee off and say, you know, the, the project kickoff is 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 kind of the the beginning, is kind of the start of the project actually being executed. And and I always try to make sure people understand that distinction because with the kickoff, that's when you have an opportunity to really get everyone together and make sure everyone is on the same page of what the marching orders are. Like everyone knows what their role is and why and how it's being done and how, you know, the project is being managed. I think that's so critical and sometimes an overlooked part of a kickoff. I've seen kickoffs where people talk very high level, but they don't go into the mechanics of how things are going to be run. And so I feel like for, you know, for, for really great consultants, you want to make sure that you have a really, really well thought out kickoff that resonates with your audience and, and you, you kind of really set the ground and make sure people know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah whether you think of it as the end of planning or the beginning of execution, I think you're exactly right. And there are some things. What are some of the conventions that we're going to use? How do we resolve conflicts? How do we identify who's going to do what tasks and what areas? What days are we going to have meetings on? Those kinds of things. And when things go wrong, what's the chain of command? How are we going to deal with that? But above and beyond all of that, I think it's important for executives or senior managers to also show up in these and lend their support. The individuals in the audience for the kickoff meeting know that this is important to them as well. I, I, I don't know why I've seen, you know, people don't want to do that step, but that, but then like, you know, we talked about earlier when a project fails or it starts to go awry, it usually is in those like first initial phases, you know, it's, it's when it could be corrected. If you can't do the, what I consider the easier part of it, where you're actually doing the planning and going through the steps you should be good at, if you can't do that in timely fashion, how are you ever going to do it when it gets into execution and, you know, controlling it? you know, you probably will have a very difficult time getting back on track. We'll get to the fourth phase of our project. So this is, um, I call it the monitoring control. I know, I feel like there's different terminology for that, but Ed, do you want to kick us off on, on kind of what, what happens during this phase of a project? Sure. In controlling 
what we're looking at is we're comparing the plan to the updates we're getting from the team members. How is the project progressing according to plan? Now, sometimes we're taking uh, preventive steps to make sure something doesn't happen. Like in risk planning, we may have a risk coming up in the plan that we've already developed a response for how we're going to deal with it, whether we're going to mitigate it, transfer it to someone else. And so we're applying those preventive steps, but we're also taking corrective actions when we do get off step that we're able to get back to the plan as a whole. During this time, there's an old adage. It says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Hmm. So metrics becomes extremely important in this time as a way of knowing how we're progressing. And, And the two large areas of metrics that we deal with is, are we on schedule and are we on budget? One of the things that's been around oh, for a long time, I, I'm going to say over 50 years, has been earned value. Now, in the beginning, it wasn't called earned value. It was called scheduling cost control system by the U.S. government. But today we call it earned value, and it's a way of measuring where we are as far as time. Are we getting those deliverables done the way we plan to get them done? Have we done everything we said we do by the status date? And are we on budget for doing it? And this is a fairly standard way. It used to be reserved for the military and government agencies. Mm-hmm. It's required by many government agencies today to use earned value. But you see it creeping into the commercial world too. More and more privately and publicly held companies are using earned value. Things like Earn value, plan value, actual cost, estimate to complete, estimate at completion, to complete performance index. These are all metrics. And so I think that it's becoming even more important that we understand those, how to read them, how to interpret them. And, and, and go-getters, you know, if you hear someone is a project manager and they're not bringing these types of quantitative insights to the client in terms of how a project is being kind of managed or the benefits being realized on that, that's not quite project management. I would call that a coordinator type of role. If someone is not, because to me that Very I think good. that I think that's what distinguishes. You know, when you think about the, you know, if you go from a good to great project manager, I think a, a great project manager is one that is bringing those insights, and they know they know you know the scope, they understand kind of where it is, but they're also tracking it in a way that is you know everyone can 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 relate, and it goes back to tying it back to the objectives, the strategic objectives, but also to the financials, because that's what it's usually all about, particularly when you have projects that may be, you know, cost-cutting projects. You may have some that are, you know, for, for to increase in revenue. You have to be able to tie it back to some sort of metric. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about how um, project management is, you know, can be administrative. I think if it's being done right, like I said, if you are a project manager, if you never use earned value, you've never calculated the estimate to complete, you may want to go back and look at how you can incorporate that and bring those insights to your project because it will really take the performance of your engagement to the next level and you'll be able to, you know, kind of figure out along the way, you know, how to um, course correct as needed and and, and bring uh, stakeholders along. And by the way, you know, it's not so much about what we've done, because once we've completed part of our schedule, we can't go back and undo what we've done. What the most important part is looking from where we are today to the end of the project and what's going to happen. And that's what estimate to complete and estimate at completion give us. Now, if you have a difficult time believing in that, tonight when you go home, what I'd like you to do is drive your car only looking through the rearview mirror. But let me know in time to get off the road before you do that. (laughs) That's a great analogy. I love it. If you can't, you know, if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. Another saying that I love on my first project manager, my first consulting engagement shared with me, um, kind of in the monitor and control kind of theme is, you know, if it's not documented, it does not exist. It's kind of in that same lens. Absolutely. And one last thing on my side is that... And this took me a long time to learn. My father, who was a venture capitalist, used to come home and tell me, you know, I did 10000 a day. I did uh, 15000 I did 100000 this month. And I said, you know, that's great, Dad. 
but it really didn't mean anything to me because numbers by themselves, I think, mean very little. Right. You have to compare them to something. You have to compare mm-hmm. them to a trend, right. compare them to a common size statement. You have to compare them to an industry average for it to make sense to other people. And what I didn't realize is that my dad had all these comparisons in his head and I didn't have those comparisons at that age. So it meant something to him and others like him, but not to me at that young age. Right. Context is everything for sure. You could have great metrics for one period and the metrics could be equally good the next period, but they could be declining. Right. And you and the trend could be declining. So you don't want to wait until they actually go negative. You want to take some corrective action along the way. Any last thoughts on monitor and control? Oh, we could we could spend all day here talking about that, but <laughs> I think for the sake of time that that about does it. Okay, okay. So I know my my last thing around monitor con- monitoring and control I also have is to me that's the phase of of really managing promises. So, you know, you got to make sure that you're you're managing not only, you know, the scope, the budget, you're also, you know, managing stakeholder expectations, which is the biggest, biggest part of it. Because as, as you mentioned, I like what you just said, Ed, about it's not about what happened in the past, it's about what you can do in the future. You know, once you start to learn certain things, understand that you can always reset expectations. You can always, you know, Absolutely. the next day wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to take this to the next level. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never done any of these things that these people are talking about, that's okay. You know, you can start a new tomorrow and it starts step by step. So, you know, start looking at, at that phase as the managing of, of promises and you'll, you'll, you'll do better. Last, last phase of a, of a typical project is the close phase. It's my favorite, favorite phase. Yeah. Ed and Stephanie, what are your thoughts on the close phase of a project? Well, <laughs> I, I, I have to say that this is the phase or the end of the project that is most often really not given enough attention. Right. With many of these, what I like to call energizer bunny type projects that tend to go on and on forever. Mm-hmm. And there are some definite steps that need to be taken towards the end of the project to make sure that we get closure. Least of all, we need to make sure that the client signs off on the work that we've done and we get approval on that. But even more important than that, I think, is capturing the lessons learned and making sure that we learn from our mistakes and we learn what we did well. And we take that learning and we incorporate it into the corporate knowledge base so that everybody can benefit from that knowledge. If all we're doing is holding a meeting and talking about what went right and what went wrong and then that disappears, we've really wasted a lot of energy and money in the lessons that we have learned. Say it again, Ed. Say it again. Say it again. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, seriously, you can, it, it is so spot on. Like, that's actually what I wrote down for that phase. Like, you have to finish a project just as strong as you started it. Right. And part of that is so, so critical. I think, I feel like the most important, you know, one of the most important meetings in a project is that lessons learned. Um, workshop, as you mentioned, some people I've heard it called different things. I've heard postmortem. I've heard all types of different. I remember one autopsy. Auto- yeah. So <laughs> quick, quick thing. I had autopsy. a client. That's so funny. I had a client one time at a firm I used to work for. They called it postmortem, and I remember you know the client was like, okay, so you wanted to, you know you wanted to schedule a meeting. It was something about death. Like what was it about again? <laughs> Oh. That was that was just a funny. Okay, maybe it was oh. funny. It was funny. No, to no, me. that's funny. Yeah, I can only imagine. It was like, okay, we got it, but why? How come the other guy's not laughing? Okay, yeah. yeah well, I think to good. that point, one of the important things is that we not just do the lessons learned at the end of the project, but you know, sometimes these projects stretch on for eighteen months, maybe yes. two years, mm-hmm. and you're going to forget a lot of the best lessons learned if you forget. <laughs> So at the end of each of these stages, it's probably a good idea to hold a brief meeting and ask, you know, what did we do well? What could we have improved on this last time? Absolutely. And we also need to make sure that we don't shoot the messenger. We encourage people, if someone says, well, I made this mistake, we don't berate them for the mistake they made because they're not going to tell you in the future when they make mistakes. We want to encourage them to have Mm -hmm. that fortright attitude to share with us what went wrong and how we might avoid it in the future. 
kind of the, the point you just made, um, I, I also want to want to kind of reiterate is the fact that you can go through these different stages of a project and not be at the end of the project. Like you said, you know, it can be the end of a phase. It can be the end of sometimes they're called stage gates. It can be the end of a work stream, you know, is kind of wrapping up. So whenever there's some sort of end, whatever that end is, doesn't mean that you're rolling off the project or not. It could just mean there's just, there's just kind of a, you know, the end of, of one kind of component and the beginning of a new is, is when I would kind of consider these types of um, techniques. So absolutely. And you might have, you know, contract closures with vendors and other things that you consider the end of a part of the project. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on, on close phase or any other phases? I think we, this is great. Any other thoughts? This is so much fun. I want to throw something out because you, Christy knows me and Ed, Ed knows me too. Okay, so I want to put out a scenario and the two of you just walk it through um, the, the five initiate, planning, execution, controlling, and closing. All right, let me give you the scenario. Ready? Go. You have a recipe, right? The recipe can feed 10 people. Your recipe has been discovered by Oprah. Oprah is throwing a convention. The convention will seat 10,000 people. They want to use your recipe. Your recipe is created to feed 10 people. Going through the five, the five you know, steps that we just went through, initiate, planning, execution, controlling, and closing, how would you go about taking that 10-person recipe, project managing it to get it to the point where you can now feed 10,000 people in one sitting with the same quality as you would with the 10-person original recipe. Applying this slide. Yeah. Hey, go-getters. Have feedback on today's show? Questions on consulting? Want to be a guest? We'd love to hear from you. Just drop us a line at mecmuseunplugged at gmail. That's mecmuseunplugged at gmail.com. You can also show us your support by downloading episodes, spreading the word to friends and family, or leaving us a review. Remember, Meesey Muse Unplugged is a pop-up podcast, which means we'll stick around as long as we continue to hear from you. Thank you for your support. Now back to today's show. I don't know about you, Christy, but the first thing I'd want to know is, am I invited to this dinner? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I'm like, I have so many assumption type of questions because I'm like, well, how do I know that, you know, the ingredients of this recipe can scale up to 10,000? Are there enough, you know, is it it available in that abundance? How much time do I, I I just feel like I have so like a bazillion questions. So we're already doing risk assessment. (laughs) And and that's what I was hoping would happen with the two of you working it out because I know the listeners are going, yeah, so how would you, and that's the same approach, go. You know, I think that as you were saying that, the first thing that's going through my mind is I have a risk attitude. Mm -hmm. And so I'm already thinking of, as Christy said, does it scale? Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, you can't just double all the ingredients and have it come out tasting well. You know, some ingredients taste a lot stronger. I need to make sure that I have pots and pans and mm-hmm. cooking utensils that can handle that volume. Mm-hmm. I need to know that I have enough people to serve that. Mm-hmm. I need to know that there's so many things that I'm asking questions about. Right? Can I do it in the amount of time that's available to me? What time do I need to start? What time do I need to finish? Mm-hmm. Right. What are my contingencies if something goes wrong, if a particular part of it falls apart or doesn't cook right? Mm-hmm. Do I have a buffer? Mm-hmm to make up for it. So that's going through my mind. Christy, how about you? I think the quality as well. You know, you talk about if for to taste like the, you know, what you do for 10 people, you know, there there definitely is a quality management, you know, to Mm kind of consider. I think the other the other piece of that is, you know, do I have who's my team? So who mm-hmm. who am I training to help me kind of, you know, kind of, kind of build that? The other thing is, 
that from a timeline perspective, is it that I'm supposed to serve all 10,000 at the same time or can it be done over a set of a certain amount of days? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do um, I get it out of the kitchen while it's Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like there's just, there's just so many questions I can have. And then, and then the other thing is what's the cost? So how much mm-hmm. is it going to cost to, to buy all the ingredients and is it, you know, making it for 10,000, is it just a, is it a charity thing? Are we trying to make money or, you know, so it goes back to kind of what's the goal of the scaling to 10, Mm -hmm. you know, from 10 to 10,000, you know, what is it that we're trying to do? And do I understand all the requirements that are in this or is the person who asked me to put this together for 10,000 people going to come to me halfway through it and say, you know, we didn't talk about dessert, but I'd like you to also throw in Mm. dessert. What does that do to my uh, budget? What does that do to my timeline in this? And is there a way of who's going to approve that change? Right, right. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Project Management 101 on a dime. Ed and Christy. Yeah, I, I feel like that one, you can like, I feel like you can talk for a while just they can just have like a whole day just thinking of like all the questions. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And that's part of the fun of project management is the creative part that goes into project management. It's even with all the documents and things that you produce so that you're thinking of the right questions at the right time, there's still so much room for creativity in the way that we do projects. Yeah, this was definitely a lot of fun. I'm going to pivot towards, you know, this is kind of the last leg of of today's episode, but I want to talk, I want to go back, you know, we were talking earlier about the, you know, the IAL, the International Institute of Learning. We were talking about, you know, the project management virtual conference. I think you have, it's called IPM day. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe can you, maybe you can share a little bit about, you know, that this event that's coming up and maybe share a little bit more about IIL for those go-getters that may be interested. And, you know, now they're learning all this stuff about project management. (laughs) They're like, man, I need help. I need to upscale. I need help. Sure, so- sure. Yes, yes. Hey, hi, everybody. This is Stephanie again, and thank you, Christy. And I just want to talk a bit about uh, International Project Management Day. Yes, there is actually an International Project Management Day, or IPM Day for short. And uh, with the uh, International Institute for Learning, that's us. Uh, International Project Management Day, or IPM Day, is an online conference on November 2nd of this year, 2017, and it will celebrate people and companies that embrace the project management methodology. Our theme this year is People, Passion, and Purpose in a Digital Age. And I would say that our most recent IPM Day last year brought in over 25,000 online registrants. So this year, we are looking to more than double that. I think one thing I really like about IPM Day is the fact that it is virtual. You know, a lot of conferences that you have to go to, on top of its consultants, we're constantly already traveling. Right. So then if you have to like then go and, you know, take up another space of energy mm-hmm. and have downtime from your clients. And that's right. You know, there's a lot of cost and energy that goes into it. And sometimes, you know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been to conferences where it felt like the level of energy I put forth to attend it. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like I got that back in exactly. return of the content. So exactly. I think right off the bat, it's a winner because it's virtual. You don't have to get on a plane to you go there. You, you can you can log in at your own you know discretion. I love that. The type of people that speak in these conferences, mm-hmm. I know I listened to the one on sustainability and there were several CEOs of businesses yes. that were talking at this. There were practitioners, there were mm-hmm. people who were movers and shakers in the industry mm-hmm. who were giving you an insight to project management from many different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And to to Ed's point, the 50,000 attendees that we're expecting will be coming from one over, uh, will be coming from over 100 countries, believe it or not, North America, Europe, Latin America, and Asia. And we're talking about project managers, program managers, managers, directors, PMOs, EPMOs, just to name a few. So all of the folks that are coming to this online event in November, the live day is on November 2nd. It's available 60 days after. They all are coming with the same type of, of mindset. And the benefits from of, of, of coming to this event, because 
time is so precious, you know, and we all have a finite amount of time. So when you invest your time in something, you want to get a return. So the registrants who register for IPM Day won 26 PDUs. And who couldn't use a PDU every now and then, right? Could you explain what PDUs are for those of us that may not be up on this? Absolutely. Professional development units. And I know that, you know, with uh, certain uh, industries and certain Mm -hmm. occupations, there comes a time when you have to certify and you have to have your PDUs or your professional development units ready in order to move forward in that process. With IPM Day, you can acquire and or earn up to 26 PDUs, which is great. Also, in your registration, it includes two free on-demand courses, which is great. And one of the on-demand courses deals with cybersecurity, which is really hot right now, as well as the update to the PMBOK guide or the Project Management Bible. There's a promo code because we love promo codes. So anyone who uses the promo code Stephanie is entitled, of course, that's me, I'm Stephanie. Uh, They're entitled to a price break, a discount, and there will be five keynote speakers, five keynote speakers. One of them is uh, one of the preeminent thought leaders in the field of project management, Dr. Harold Kersner, and the other is the co-creator of Scrum. Now, video track sessions. All of this, keep in mind, all of this is included in your registration, and you can do this in your pajamas if you want to because it's virtual, it's online. Video track sessions, um, examples of the topics include blockchain, inspiring innovation from NASA, multi-generational differences in the workplace, using data to delight, learning from activists, investors. There will also be a network lounge and an exhibitor hall, just like when you have your physical face-to-face conference and, you know, when you in between your breakout sessions and you go and you kind of sit down and you talk to other people at the convention, we will have that same type of environment, except it's virtual. And in that virtual exhibitor hall or network lounge, you can interact with speakers, attendees, keynotes and sponsors. And again, as Christy said, all of this is at your leisure from the comfort of your desk, your own time zone, and whatever attire you desire. Awesome. Thank you for that. And go-getters, as I mentioned at the top of the, the, the first half of this, we will include all the links, including the code that Stephanie just mentioned. And we'll put that on our website, mecmuse.com. So check that out if you are definitely interested. One last question before we, we close out today's interview. I just would be curious, just given kind of, you know, IPM day and you've got some amazing speakers, thought leaders of the profession. Mm-hmm. What would you say is kind of the state of project management? You know, you know, you talked about people, passion, and purpose in the digital age, like what would be like, you know, one thought you can share with the go-getters that, you know, they may be new to consulting, they're new to the whole idea of project management as a discipline. What's your, what are some things that they should start to consider for, you know, kind of being kind of the PM of the future? I think that the key thing today, there, there's actually two things that are really big. One is benefits realization and making sure that what we promise to our stakeholders that we're going to deliver at the end of the project, we're actually measuring it. So what, what's in the business case for the project actually gets realized down the road. That's one thing. But the other big topic, and I'm sure Stephanie would agree with this, mm-hmm. is Agile and Scrum. Yes. You know, even though it's been around for a while, the utilization of Agile, Agile Scrum, and extreme programming not only is used in IT, but now you're seeing a proliferation of it being used in all sorts of projects. I think that's very helpful. And and go-getters, I will include links on kind of agile and, 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 you know, just to give you a little bit more of a buffer uh, um, of understanding of, of all these different terms. So I thank the both of you for joining you. us today. Any any kind thank of parting you. remarks on either consulting or project management and consulting? Any any last thoughts? Yes. When can you have us back to do this again? Yes, 
Yes, please. Yeah, this is great. This is, I think, you know, I, I'm so glad that you, you agreed to, to be part of this because I cannot stress enough how important project management is as a skill set for consultants. And I, I think go-getters, you should definitely check out IPM Day because all the things we talked about, as I mentioned, if this is the first time you're hearing about them, you may want to check that conference out to, to learn a little bit more and bring this into your toolkit. Definitely. And I, I also want to say again, thank you so much, Christy. Thank you both for being a guest on today's show. Like I said, this is my first threefer. So how, <laughs> how, did, how did I do? Did I do okay as a guest for the first threefer? Oh, I, you, I think you, you did, did outstanding. Well. Awesome, we, awesome. We had fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank, mm-hmm. thanks again for being on today's show. And go-getters, if you have a particular question or feedback, feel free to drop us a line at unplugged at gmail. Again, that's unplugged at gmail.com. Again, I'd like to thank Ed and Stephanie from the International Institute of Learning. And thank you, my go-getters, for tuning in today. This is Christy Lindor signing out for the Misi Muse Unplugged Pop-Up Podcast. Here's to your journey to greatness. Tune in every Friday for new episodes syndicated on iTunes, Google Play Music, and many more. Visit www.misimuse.com for more information.